You are listening to Specifically for Seniors, a podcast designed for a vibrant and diverse senior community. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Barsh. Join me and a lineup of experts as we discuss a wide variety of topics that will empower, inform, entertain, and inspire as we celebrate the richness and wisdom of this incredible stage of life. Here at Specifically for Seniors, we are always on the lookout for stories that will inspire. My daughter, Emily, met our guest while walking her dogs in the Hollywood Hills. When she told me his story, I asked him to be a guest on Specifically for Seniors. Rick Mader is a longtime runner and Emmy-nominated TV executive living in Los Angeles. He was born in Pinner, England, and grew up in California, New Jersey, and Munich, Germany. A miler in high school, he led it in cross-country in college and has run the Grand Canyon twice as a cardiac patient. A heart attack survivor, he has four stents in his left anterior descending artery. And for those of you who don't know what the LAD is, it's called the Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. And he has a defibrillator implanted in the side of his chest. He's the author of Six Hours, Running for My Life in the Grand Canyon. Welcome to Specifically for Seniors, Rick. Thank you, Larry. And here's, and this is what the book looks like. Um, And and not to push it, but uh, it's available uh, through bookstores, Amazon. You know, um, if anybody's uh, interested, and my website is rickmater.com, which has plenty of information and photos. Go ahead, push it. Why not? (laughs) Hey, Rick, I mentioned you were an Emmy-nominated TV executive. Can you tell us a little bit more about your working life? Oh, that was early in my career. I was a producer at KCBS-TV here in Los Angeles. Um, So doing a lot of local talk shows, magazine shows, documentaries. And the the documentary that was up for an Emmy was on... It was called Hollywood Runaways, and Hollywood's always been a magnet for runaways. So it was uh, addressing the problem and solutions, and was very well received. Um, uh, and that, yeah, that was uh, a fun part of my career. You're a lifelong runner, but in middle age, you had a heart attack. Are you comfortable talking about it to the listeners? Sure. Um, because it goes to, it goes to a lot of things actually, but also one thing is that it's not a heart attack isn't necessarily predicated on an unhealthy lifestyle. And in my case, it was genetic. Um, I was on a run in 2007 and I had a heart attack and I was shocked. Um, I actually finished the workout (laughs) walking instead of running. (laughs) That's a little, a little compulsive. Um, plus, I couldn't quite believe it, but I felt a sensation in my chest. So it turned out um, I had a fully occluded LAD. It should have been fatal. Um, but my cardiologist told me that distance running and other sports 
you uh, build up ancillary blood vessels and there was just enough ancillary blood vessels around the point of the occlusion that I didn't have a massive fatal heart attack. And actually, so I had three stents put in and was told I should really hang up my running shoes. Uh, needless to say, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to hear. Plus, it had just saved my life. So I got a second opinion and I worked with another cardiologist. Um, we agreed I'd keep it my, to, 10, to 10 miles in terms of a maximum running distance, though I went more than that in the Grand Canyon. Um, so, um, and I, I'll just say, add to that, there's a international group called cardiacathletes.com. They originally started in Australia, but it's a great support group. If there's any listeners that, that exercise and have been through a heart attack, um, the cardiac athletes is, is, is similar in that it's various athletes in all sports that just like me, I was 59 when I had mine, sometimes they're even the thirties, you know, people that have cardiac issues early on and then, and want to go back to the sport that they, they've been doing. So I highly recommend that as a, a, a great kind of source of information. You know, people that have been through stents or defibrillator can speak on the subject and support other members. I was going to ask you about that later. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, your heart attack didn't keep you down, though. Uh, no, I worked my way. It took about I think a month, I kind of got ahead of the schedule, but the schedule was to try a mixture of walking and running. And, um, I, I remember the day I was going up to Mulholland, you know, you could up at the top of the Hollywood Hills. And, um, I started running a little more than the walking breaks and, and, uh, and it was, it was great. It was like an epiphany. It was like great to be back on a sunny day. And, um, you know, I didn't, I was, I didn't have any of the symptoms, you know, like pain in the chest, you know, stuff I was supposed to be watching for. And, um, and I went for a hike in the Grand Canyon with a cousin of mine and some friends. And I started thinking, wow, wouldn't this be a great run? Um, and, and then I got delayed a year because, uh, I, I flunked a treadmill test going into the uh, run. Um, which I probably took to keep my family happy. My daughters were fairly young at the time and uh, were concerned. And it turned out I had 80% occlusion in the LAD again. So I had another stent and then I waited till, I had to wait till 2012 or 2011 to run the canyon. And I, I come across a online blogger, maybe in his thirties. And he'd done it in under six hours. So I arbitrarily picked that as, as my time goal. So I was going to run it and do it in under six, six hours. It's uh, 17 miles from the South Kaibab Trail down to the Black Bridge along the Colorado River, Phantom Ranch, across the Silver Bridge. And then you do Bright Angel Trail all the way back up to the South Rim, which is, which is really tough. That's that last, that last part of the, those several miles going up that the bright angel are incredibly steep. We'll show some uh, slides in a minute. Um, why the Grand Canyon? It was, um, I was going to joke and say it because it was there. It was, it, it was really because I went on that hike with my cousin. I, 
I had been there years ago, but I'd never gone very far down. Um, and my cousin went every year. So it just, you know, I was a runner. We're going, I actually decided to go on ahead and kind of went solo and tried out running on parts of the South Kaibab. So it's just so iconic, you know, and it's a, 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 a terrific challenge uh, that it just really appealed to me to, to get out there and kind of, re- you know, complete the recovery from the heart attack, basically. That's a high-risk run, isn't it? Yeah, I get into it in the book. Um, and the older you are, frankly, the more high-risk it is. Um, there, you know, something like 500 people have died in the Grand Canyon. I actually got into some of the stories. Everything, everything from, from, you know, flash floods to dehydration to falls. I mean, literally... Um, every year there's several stories in the news about, uh, you know, really sad stories of people that fall from say Uwa point or one of the other overlooks in the Canyon because they're not fenced off, you know, they're natural. Um, there's that there's, there's the water issue. I actually, the trans Canyon pipeline, which supplies water from, uh, from a spring on the North rim all the way up to uh, the South Rim had actually had a couple breaks in it. And, and I was waiting whether it would be fixed and, and, but to make sure I was covered, I had like five bottled waters with me. So I ran with my own water. So even if the Trans Canyon pipeline was still broken, I was covered. And I also brought a, I did the canyon twice. I think I might have waited to do the map the second time, but I highly recommend bringing a map, a trail map, trail map, and keeping water in mind. Um, that's why it's best to go down the South Kaibab, um, which is a rich trail, and then go back up Bright Angel because Bright Angel has has several water watering spots, including Indian Garden. So that so it makes more sense. You know, go down the South Kaibab, come up where it can get water because you're near the end of the run. You don't want to get dehydrated. So at Indian Garden, for example, you stop, you can get water. Those aren't the trails, or are they, that the mules take when they go down? Yes, they are. Um, and I mention it uh, in the book because it can, it can hold you up for a bit. They are the, they are the trails that... Uh, like there's mules taking at Phantom Ranch, there's actually a general store and there's mules that take the trash and there's a camping area. So mule, there's mule trains that take the trash out. So, so yes, you can come across a mule train and have to step aside and, and wait for it to pass. And those paths aren't that wide. It's, um, there's several feet wide. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's wide enough but there's spots where you have a really steep drop. And um, there's also the issue of what I call in the book, cross trail logs. Um, if you have a, a photo of the Bright Angel Trail or South Kaibab that you wanna put up, um, I think it, 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 basically they hold back the, 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 the dirt, you know? Okay, that's great. That's, that's the South Kaibab. That's looking up towards the South Rim. That's coming down the South, South Kaiba. That's only a butte on the right. But if you can see it there, 
those are logs across the trail to hold the dirt in place, but they get rutted in between. So it's, it's like, it's like running through a, a you know, tires on a, on a obstacle course. So it's really tricky and you absolutely don't want to take a header. You don't want to fall off the trail. Um, in the book, I talk about literally doing a cadence count just to stay focused as I, as I went down. So this isn't street running, that's for sure. <laughs> no, then that's one of the things that makes it challenging. Also, if you're a cardiac patient, you're on blood thinners. So frankly, it's really dangerous if you were to fall and hit your head. Yeah. So um, if, any, if anybody wants to do it, you know, it depends on your age, your conditioning. And of course, there's always hiking or hiking partway down. Uh, what time of year did you do it? Uh, in the summer, in June, um, it's the best time to do it right before everything gets super hot. Um, also, in basically from October to, to end of April, there's snow. You know, the elevation is 7,000 feet on the South Rim. So, you, so, you know, the best time to do it is early summer, early fall. Kind of avoid July and August. Also, you know, for the run, basically, I went down really early in the morning um, because the gorge, you know, it can be 70 degrees at the top of the South Rim when they start, and the gorge can be 110 by the time, you know, like at noon. Um, so the idea is to to get go down and get out of there if you're running it. Obviously, if you're hiking, there's more flexibility, but it gets it gets incredibly hot down in the gorge. And at 7,000 feet, being a cardiac patient, that's another problem. Well, that didn't, that didn't bother me. It does help that um, you start out going down. So the stress and the real work is coming up. Um, so, so it doesn't immediately, but that's actually also tricky because if you're going up a mountain, for example, hiking, running, whatever, your limits kick in at some point. A tricky part of the Breath Grand Canyon is you can get lulled into thinking everything's fine because you're going down at the beginning as opposed to going up a mountain. Um, and uh, <laughs> you can get a little out over your skis if you're not in shape. Um, you know, just So I actually uh, worked out on Mount Wilson here in Los Angeles, which is 5,000 feet. And that kind of replicates the distance from the, the South Rim to the gorge. Um, and and I was in shape. I was in shape to do it, even though I was 64. Let's take a look at the whole run. I've got a map that we can show. If you can describe the, the route and the elevation as we go through it. Sure. It starts at the, I'm not sure these, do I put my finger on the screen? What's the best way to do it? It's not going to help. <laughs> it's not going to help. Well, off to the, in the lower right-hand corner is the South Kaibab Trailhead. And there's black arrows that, that take it down to Ua Point, Cedar Ridge. Ua Point's like, uh, is the first place where you can see out over the whole Grand Canyon. It's marvelous. You just have to be careful. It's very small. Um, a woman did fall from there about two years ago. Just a tragic story. It's just, you know, you got to keep your wits about you. So that's Ua Point down to Cedar Ridge, which is about a mile down. 
that's kind of an open area. Um, you can kind of take a break if you're just hiking. Um, O'Neill Butte's a, a, a big landmark off to the left. And by the way, that's a fascinating character, which I get into in the book. It was named after a, a, a guy who was one of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. Um, and of course, Teddy Roosevelt played a role in the Grand Canyon becoming a national park. Then it's down to Skeleton Point, the tip off, working your way down to the river, which is at the bottom there. And you can see the green follows it to Phantom Ranch. You, you, as you mentioned, there's the Black Bridge at the river. That's that's a place to cross over. There used to be way trickier, even a suspension bridge before that was built in like the 1920s. There's a silver bridge for the way up that was built in the 1970s. And then the rest of it, uh, Pipe Creek Ravine, Devil's Corkscrew, to Pizza Narrows, that's all Bright Angel Trail, Indian Garden. And that takes you up to the to the um, south room. And by the way, a fascinating angle to this, I took geology as a science requirement in liberal arts college. Um, I never thought it'd be handy for anything um, until I did the Grand Canyon, until I wrote the book. The fascinating to me, and you're talking about why around the Grand Canyon, this is one reason it's all the levels, the layer, geological layers that should be buried, you know, deep underground are all exposed here. So literally at the top of the South Kaibab Trail, you start out running through 300 million year old South Kaibab limestone. And you're actually running on the remnants of the last supercontinent, Pangaea, which, which broke apart 200 plus million years ago. And, and a supercontinent, so all the, you know, every several hundred million years, all the continents on Earth combined together in this cycle. Um, and, you know, geologic plates moving around and then they break apart. And that's one reason why South America and Africa fit together so well is because they were once part of Pangaea. So you go through layers of geologic time until you hit the river gorge, which is Vishnu Schist, which is 1.6 billion years ago. So it's a fascinating journey through um, geologic time, which is kind of a nice metaphor if you're writing a memoir to kind of work off, which I, which I did in, in, in the book. And Pangaea, I just found really fascinating, you know, when you get into that, because it's kind of like this Atlantis kind of thing, because it's where mammals originated. So it's kind of the ancestral home of man. Back when mammals were just, you know, tiny little creatures, you know, it was part of the age of dinosaurs. Um, and, you know, it's the world we have now is Pangaea split apart. And eventually, and I, and I have this in the book, um, the next supercontinent is going to be Pangaea Ultima. That some people have, some geologists have already named it. And that's, you know, California is going to go north and run into Japan, et cetera, and Pangaea will be reformed in the ends of years in the future. We've got a few more pictures of the actual um, scenery. That's the view from Uwa Point on the way down, looking down towards O'Neill Butte. I've got a low-flying helicopter coming through here. You're hearing that. Um, so the, it's it's gorgeous. The first time you're coming down South, South Kaibab, it's really just a rocky outcropping. Um, but you can see you're looking out over the whole Grand Canyon over to the North Rim. And a landmark is O'Neill Butte, which is there. And this is early in the morning. 
um, I took it on um, on a hike. I, you know, I've run the canyon. I've hiked the canyon. So as the sun's coming up, it's bathing O'Neill Point. And then that picture we saw before is the trail running just below. Yes, that's just below. That's down there, just below um, O'Neill Butte. And then you mentioned the river. Yes, that's the Silver Bridge. So once you go down and you cross the Black Bridge in the gorge and go to Phantom Ranch, when you cross the river again, this is the Silver Bridge, which is a pedestrian-only bridge. The Black Bridge has like mule trains on it and stuff. Um, this was built in the 1970s. It carries the Trans Canyon Pipeline, which was built back then. So it runs under it un runs under the bridge and takes water up to the south rim. So you're at the bottom. That's the Colorado River, and um, you pick up the river trail on the other side and follow it along until you hit Bright Angel. And that's further up Bright Angel, coming. Um, that's to Pete's Narrows. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned the tricky part about flash floods. You just have to be careful. Um, the the thing that makes it tricky is that flash floods can occur from a rainstorm away from the rim of the canyon, and then the water but the water drains into the canyon. Now, nothing like that happened um, on my run, but I do. It can be dangerous, and I that it's it's important to pay attention to the weather forecast. But that's gorgeous. That's going up through layer geologic layers. There's a stream there. And you're working your way back up towards Indian Garden and the South Rim. You accomplished a lot uh, since your heart attack. Do you have any advice you would give to people with physical or mental uh, medical limitations? Uh, it's is it's so obviously you need to consult your doctor. So it's tricky because it's so everyone's so different. But I I'm a big advocate of exercise. You know, I went back to running in 1994 and, and it just really paid off. It literally saved my life. And that's not exaggerating. That's, that's literally what the cardiologist told me. Um, so it's, a you know, exercise walking, um, you know, or, or it's really never too late to run. If you do a careful, you know, walk and run program, I'll plug somebody else's book. There's, there's the best-selling running author in America is, is Jeff Galloway. To a lot of people, probably, I think you're going to have heard of. And this is his most recent book. <laughs> and it's called Running Until You're 100. <laughs> and he's a former 10,000-meter champion. I actually went to a running camp of his in Lake Tahoe in, like, 1995. Um, so he's a, he's a terrific teacher. And this is a, like a really common sense approach to exercise and running. Um, and it staves off, I mean, anecdotally and medically, it staves off things like hip replacements and all that you know, knee replacements if you stay active. So I just did a workout this morning, four miles up to Mulholland, not up all the way up to Mulholland. I'd do that on Sunday um, since the rain's here, <laughs> take, take a break. Um, so motivating yourself to get out there, uh, but, but, but obviously you need to, like I said, talk to your physician and, and be careful about it. But 
it's uh, and it keeps you know it gets the blood flowing it keeps your brain working right keeps your body working right you know if you eat reasonably healthy um there are limitations and the one i had to face is i turned 76 a couple months ago is that i'm transitioning from distance running to power hiking hiking mixed in with running because it's just a fact of life that the body recovers slower um but it's still you know walking though though not with a cup of starbucks (laughs) (laughs) and talking to your friend well talk to your friend but you know like brisk walking you know i I, you know I, i live in the hills so so it's very easy to go up and you know you got a really good workout doing that those of us with dogs know what <laughs> <laughs> yes i used to have dogs yes they'll, they'll get you out every day <laughs> at least twice and uh we're in we're in massachusetts so in the summer three times a day huh. when the days get a little warmer and gets light a little later um let's get back to your book for a second six hours what do you hope the book accomplishes that um you know that it's i don't want to get too grandiose but that it's got an inspirational element to it because it's really you know life is about live you know living it moving forward and that that a heart attack doesn't mean you know it's the end of life as you know it um so I think that's an important uh, uh, takeaway: is is staying active, and and it helps you overcome medical problems like a heart attack. That basically it, it didn't come totally out of nowhere. To be honest, um, I had a, like a fainting episode climbing stairs like a month earlier, and I literally thought I don't want to know what that was. But you can't you can't ignore symptoms like that. Um, but I, but I would say, I think that's, uh, um, and, and the Grand Canyon is just like an iconic place to visit, whether you're running or hiking. Um, I, in the epilogue of the book, not to get all Zen, but, but the last time I did the Canyon, you know, running it is kind of like kind of overcoming nature in a way. The last time I did it, I hiked solo on a weekday, almost no people were there. I was on the Tonto Trail at daybreak, which the Tonto is the longest trail in the canyon. It goes along this along the Colorado River Gorge at the top of the gorge, and you know it's a uh, it's an incredible experience. You're there alone in the Grand Canyon, you and some prickly pear cactus blooming. The sun's coming up, no one around. You know, it's just a, a gorgeous experience. When I was your age, I'm 87 now. When I was your age, my wife and I were in Australia. And one of our challenges was climbing the Harbor Bridge to the top. In Sydney? In Sydney, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a great experience as well. I didn't know you could do that. So I had, you can literally climb. There's a ladder that goes up to the... Uh, there are four ladders. There are, I think they said 1,200 steps as you wow. get up to the arc of the uh, bridge on the top. So that was great fun as well. 
Sounds very cool. Bit of a workout, but uh, <laughs> good fun. Imagine. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add? We talked about cardiac athletes as an important source. Um, yeah, it's a support group. Um, I, I tell you, just like I said, my, my view is um, exercise is really important. Eating, not being fanatical, but eating, basically eating healthy, keeping red meat to a limit, you know, limiting red meat, um, you know, kind of watching your weight, just like living a healthy lifestyle and, and not taking no for an answer necessarily. Like the cardiologist that told me after my first three stents that it was time to hang up my running shoes. And he said, and I question that and he said well maybe some light jogging 20 minutes three times a week um and you know not i think sometimes people are using looking for an excuse not to exercise i think it's a lot smarter to try to find ways or new ways you know like swimming for example great cardio if you have knee issues that doesn't put pressure on your knees that's a great alternative cycling same thing less pounding to find ways to keep moving forward because there are a lot of rewards to living a healthier lifestyle, staying active and finding, I guess, finding challenges, you know, whatever that might be, um, you know, after you leave your full-time employment, like you were a dentist. I left television only a month ago, actually. And I have to kind of make my own decisions um, I view myself as on sabbatical because I'm working on another book. Um, and then I'll decide what I want to do. Um, but I think it's part of that, you know, finding new challenges in life. You know, if you always wanted to write a novel, forget about running for a minute. You know, I have a novel out. I might as well just give a quick, it's called Beat. It came out a few years ago. Tell us about it. <laughs> as long as you're holding it up. Okay. Beat was my passion project, which I started formulating many years ago. Uh, in a nutshell, it's, um, it's set in San Francisco, circa 1975-76. And it's a group of 20-somethings, um, angst-ridden 20-somethings coming out of the end of the counterculture and the anti-war movement and all that, and looking for ways forward in their life. And it's uh, Romana Clough. It's been well-received, especially up in the Bay Area. I do a lot of promotion up there you know, in bookstores, on radio. And it was actually written to be a movie. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But it's, um, and it's available on Amazon and through your local store, bookstore. Um, but, uh, you know, so many people have that thought about writing a book. And, um, and it's like, my view is go for it. I actually started these while still working because, because um, I was curious whether I could do it. And, and if you decide, if you decide you're leaving your job and you're going to write that novel, uh, I think it's good to at least start it <laughs> before you leave the job. Um, but that's a cool book. I highly recommend it, obviously, to people, uh, especially people, let's say, in, you know, 60 to 86, um, because we all lived through that period in one way or another. Um, I was... Don't want to get off on a big tangent, but I was very involved in the anti-war movement. You know, um, uh, I was in jail with Abby Hoffman. You know, I was in SDS, all that stuff. Um, 
and the novel, there was a huge transition, everything from politics to pop culture in the mid 1970s. Um, I don't know how many of the listeners are into music, but it's the beginning of punk rock. You know, so the Ramones are in the book, Blondie's in the book. Um, and and coming to terms like, and I and I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by, um, if you're familiar with Goodreads, you know, it's a big book review site, heavily female, a lot of young women. And it was really fascinating to read their reviews, which were, which were quite favorable um, and makes me think that it's relatable to every generation going through that period of life where you have to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life, especially if you come through something as transformative as the 1960s and the anti-war movement, you know, and, and all that. So I'll just end beat with saying that Billy, the protagonist, uh, runs the Grateful Dead t-shirt store in Haight-Ashbury. <laughs> in 1975 and um and and uh, has to find his way forward and if it gets to be a movie will you come back on specifically for seniors and talk about it gladly um it's in the hands of some producers i i've got a, now that i'm not working full-time um i'm hoping that i get some a lot of traction with my next book that can lead to extra attention being devoted to to beat um, like I said, it was written to be a movie, so so that was always in mind. Um, but getting a movie made is is uh, is is uh, its own challenge. <laughs> so your basic advice is keep going, keep trying new things. Yeah, because you know, and it's really interesting how different everyone is at this point of life. This meaning, say, you know, sixty five, when people are dealing with retirement. Um, someone I worked with, I worked for A&E Lifetime. And so when I was handing back my, my equipment, like my laptop and my iPhone, the guy that was receiving it is like 63 and he can't wait to retire because he wants to, he wants to travel. Well, I grew up traveling. We lived in Europe, uh, in my hippie days, like crisscross the United States in my VW bus. So that's not the top thing for me, but for some people it is. And that's, that's. You know, travel is their way of moving forward. So um, I met somebody who actually drove a VW bus. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it on the cover. That's cosmic. <laughs> VW bus. By the way, for any would-be authors out there, um, it's fascinating because you can actually do cover contests for books you now online. And, uh, and, and, you know, a Serbian artist came up with this, this cover based on um, my guidance. Um, but yes, the whole VW bus thing. <laughs> it, was, it, was its own, it was its own adventure. Rick, this I, is... I was raised on the East Coast in Europe. So, you know, I headed for California after college, like San Francisco. Rick, this I... has been great fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure. And uh, again, if it becomes a movie, I want to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. You're reminding me, I got to get back to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to uh, trying to make that happen. Thanks again, Rick. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> Thank you. 
If you found this podcast interesting, fun, or helpful, tell your friends and family and click on the follow or subscribe button. We'll let you know when new episodes are available. You've been listening to Specifically for Seniors. We'll talk more next time. Stay connected.